Genre. Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and celebrate the movie Spider-Man one elevator dropping minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Zach Luna. And uh, we're still uh, we're still in the middle of credits week. Yes. Wrapping, wrapping this season of the show up. Uh, today we're talking about Minute 118 specifically, which begins with the credit for Department Head of Makeup Deborah Lamaya Denever. Sure. Uh, and ends with assistant editors Paul Hart and A. Michelle Page. Yeah. <sighs> so it's so Yeah, we're 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 in the nitty-gritty we're of the, the credits. Have, now. We, have they switched over songs at this point? I could I guess I could check. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. we're in I think we're in nickel, nickel We're in nickelback territory. Yeah. That's yeah. that's where we've landed uh here. Um but yeah, I mean this <laughs> We kind of kind of mentioned yesterday that the the credits kind of tend to go in um in order of you know after the top of the line people it goes pre production then production post production so mm-hmm. one eighteen is kind of the the minute where you see a lot of people who are um, production you know uh, principal photography type type stuff um, right yeah. and then you get you just start you just start dipping a toe into post production with like the the you know main team of editors and yeah, stuff like that exactly. yeah. Um, I mean, I in terms of like p- picking a couple people out again, I I tried to. We have talked at length about you know uh, directors and you know the DPs and you know we've we've mentioned editors and so uh, I was trying to find what was a a credit that was a little interesting that is like less ballyhooed and um for for me the one that I that I sort of grabbed onto today to kick us off was um Susanna Preston who is the script supervisor. On the, oh. uh, on the project. So I want to give her a little bit of a shout out, uh, partly because this is one of her uh, last screen credits. Um, she was Whoa. one of the, yeah, she's one of the older um, uh, people working on the crew. She had done a simple, a simple plan with Sam Raimi before that, but um, earlier she had done Bill and Ted's bogus journey and die hard Two and splash and Caddyshack. Like she'd been working for a wow. while and um, she sort of finished out her career in the early 2000s. So this is one of her last big screen credits was Spider-Man. And uh, the script supervisor, I think, is just an interesting um, position on the crew and one that as soon as you hear about it, you're like, oh, of course you would have to have something like that. Uh, But you don't tend to think of it ahead of time. So um, the script supervisor is like basically the continuity god. They they oversee the continuity of the movie. So... um, they're paying attention to the wardrobe, the props, the set dressing, the hair, makeup, the actions of the actor during the scene, and taking copious notes about that. And so during every take, the script supervisor is uh, looking at what's being recorded 
and how it either matches or deviates from the script uh, that day. They're, you know, while everybody is working with logistics, they're the person, you know, thinking of the annoying details like, a, you know, a sharp-eyed uh, audience member later on where uh, literally the level of water in that glass isn't right. This won't cut together. They're basically like... She, she's trying to make life easier for the editors in post. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so right. she's marking down as much relevant information as there can be and advising when we're sort of stepping out of line. Um, mm -hmm. So if, if we're unsure of like, you know, where somebody landed at the end of the last take, the script supervisor knows it. If uh, there's information like logging the director's commentary on which takes are good, that's the script supervisor. And um, for, for me, uh, I most know them as like that, the kind saint that helps you when you mess up a line. Like in the the crazy hullabaloo of like filming, you know, anything and you know trying to to get all of these disparate um, crafts to work together at the same time. If you're in the middle of there and you you for every reason have a fallible human brain and you can't, you know, the line that you know isn't there when you reach for it, and you you don't want to waste too much time. You sort of yell out, uh, wait, how does the line go here? I'm so sorry. The script supervisor is literally looking at the words on the page right then. So they're usually that like saintly voice that comes out of the corner in Video Village and is like, you have to say when things are about to turn around, not when things are getting better. And you're like, yes, that's right. Got it. And then you can go go back to doing uh, what you're doing. Um, but it's, I've, I've always thought it was like a fun um you know, position on set uh, that you, you sort of park down in front of the monitors with the big script and all of your notes and, uh, you know, are the person who guards the film from falling apart logistically in the edit. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, like, people love to pick out, like, movie mistakes and, you know, uh, the the burnt cigarette was, like, uh, the wrong length here and, you know, it was better somewhere else. Um, and they have no idea how much worse everything could be were it not for like these these sorts of sort of people like focusing intently all all day long about those sort of things so that again it's mm -hmm. it's like sectioning off mental work uh like you only have so much energy to focus on and it's like how do we divvy up uh tasks on the crew so that um not any one person is carrying the mental load of the entire uh, creative enterprise and right. uh, I like that the script supervisor is just that I'll be the nitty picky person and point out that you said uh instead of the here <laughs> and, and and I want to I want to comment on two things mm -hmm. uh, uh, one something that you just said about the um, how much worse the edit would be without yeah. these people mm -hmm. uh, when people are pointing out continuity stake mistakes nine times out of ten what they're actually pointing out is uh something that is only a continuity mistake because of a decision like a workaround that yes. was made in post yes. yeah um where they were they were they were stealing from an earlier moment or a later moment to fill in a moment that they want that don't yeah. they don't have um and so that's where continuity mistakes are usually made, and that's not the soup. That's not the script supervisor's right. fault. It's like they they had it planned out and perfect on the day, and then when when the editors are working with it, like continuity is low on the priority list in terms of right. like, well, what take am I gonna go with? You know, for best performance, for you know, right. telling the story properly, for you know, uh, emotion. Very far down that list is 
is it going to match perfectly continuity wise? Because right. if if the acting is doing its job and the writing is doing its job and the edit is, um, you know, servicing those two things, most of the time you won't pay attention to that stuff. Right. <laughs> right. Like it. It's unless not... your cinema sends and you're you're literally evil incarnate. Yes. Exactly. Um, Thank you. Uh, um, but... <laughs> Um, the other, the other thing too, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. uh, cause I very well might be, but yeah, is the, the script supervisor isn't only in charge of continuity on the day. They mm-hmm. also keep track of things like overall continuity in the film. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, oh, you, they costume department, they should be wearing this, this day, not the thing that you gave them exactly. or the yeah. thing that we shot like two weeks ago when they were leaving the building and she had a scarf on, she's not wearing the scarf and now we're shooting the exterior. She needs to have the scarf. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically every department sort of filters through her that, you know, it's, wardrobe props set dressing hair makeup and the action of the actors during the scene it's basically the purview mm-hmm. of the of the script supervisor uh, and mm-hmm. so you're you're doing your own job and then they're the person that like catches you from having like a you know a trip up or something like that uh but it's they're invaluable and um they're i don't know why but they're usually sweet old ladies i don't know what like <laughs> demographic approach landed that way um you know it, it might be one of those things like you know how like in the early days of Hollywood, like all editors were women because they thought that like it was busy work or something. And then uh-huh. like only later when they were like, oh, you're making like really creative like decision making process here. Like, oh, yeah, no, that can be a man's job, too, or whatever. So I don't know like what the history behind that is. But most uh, I've just run into a lot of sweet old lady supervisors. And uh, from what I've from what I've read and researching, uh, Susanna was was one of those and people really liked her. So um yeah, I want to. I want to sh- give her a shout out because I, th- I thought yeah. she deserves it. Um, plus, cat, so we'll a, we have a connection. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we have we have a new script supervisor then for Spider Man Two. Uh, uh, yes, uh, I okay. can actually look that up right oh, now. Oh no, you don't need to. You don't need to look that up. I just yeah, just yeah. in general, I was just like yeah. So she, this is her last movie. Yeah, uh, she did like a TV movie after this, so Death in the Family. But yeah, that was basically it. Um, okay. So good, jo- good job, Susanna Preston. Uh, much love to you. Yeah. And then <laughs> the other like fun, um, you know, uh, principal photography uh, production credit that I saw here that I um, was excited about. I, I had an idea that there might be something like this hidden in here. So like late in the minute, we have a list of the um, PAs, the production assistants mm-hmm. on set. And, um, and I, I looked up a few of them and then I picked one that I wanted to highlight because the the PA is, uh, it's the low rung position on set. Uh, a PA is the um, entry level set position. You know, you are the first to arrive, last to leave, you're paid the least, you're sort of the, um, the lowest rung helping people uh, position. So you know, traditional set PA things are uh, things like echoing and locking up, like, um, on set, you know, you might be in a very elaborate location or the soundstage might be very large. And so, like, when the first AD says, you know, we're rolling, everybody shut up, shut the hell up. Um, even if you ha- everybody has their walkies and whatnot, there might be some key personnel, like maybe whoever's working crafty and they're, like, you know, getting food ready or something, like, might still be making noise and not have heard that. So the PAs, uh, the production assistants who are running around all over, Whenever a, a key order like that goes through from the um, from the first AD, the PAs will literally just yell it out uh, as an echo. So like you'll have this phenomenon happen on set where 
you know, the first AD says, you know, uh, rolling sound speed. And then from all over the soundstage or all over the location, you hear five or six PAs yell, rolling! Uh, just so that, <laughs> you know, physically That's... speaking, everyone can hear the order and everyone is aware of it at all times. It's like a very low-tech approach to making sure everyone hears the first AD is your your uh, PAs are the soundboards. But um, I think I think that's adorable. <laughs> it's really fun, yeah. Uh, locking up is also a fancy term for uh, what PAs do, which is preventing random people from walking onto your set. Uh, so, like, as a PA, a lot of times you're, like, your primary focus during the take, like, when we're rolling, is to lock up for everybody, which is, if you're on location, random people or paparazzi or just like you know a homeless guy who doesn't care are going to very determinedly try to walk into the middle of your shot and you as a pa have to like come up with this sort of mime routine to like pause them and keep them from messing up the shot and like you know direct them somewhere else it's just like keep people from messing with our set that's a pa lockup um, it's, it's like the, it's one of the like least respected and hardest like positions. It's when everybody comes into, um, you know, working in film and television and they, they want to get some credits and, you know, get, did some resume builders. It's, you gotta like pay your dues and, you know, do that PA work that isn't fun because aside from like official things like echoing and locking up and wrangling people, fetching people, distributing paperwork and radios, your job is to just do random weird tasks. So a lot of times PAs are the people that you send to go get coffee or the, like there's, oh my God, like, uh, you know, somebody smashed this prop that we have, but we know there's, you know, a Hobby Lobby down the road. We need like six mason jars in the next 15 minutes. You send a PA with, a you know, with a stipend and a car and they have to go buy those and run them back. Like you just do random things sometimes a pa is the person that like oh there's a branch coming you know that's like whipping in the breeze and we can't get it to so like can you literally just physically stand there and hold this branch back so it's not in the shot like i did that as a pa once or my own job for an entire scene was standing next to a tree bending the tree branch back because our our tie down thing snapped like you just do random awful things and it's really hard work and um it's it's very easy to like you know to feel like you're not really amounting to much, you're not, t- you know, uh, getting anywhere when you're doing PA work. But it's it's the best thing about it is that it's um, a be a sponge position. Like, do the the terrible dumb tasks nobody else wants to do, but be a sponge in terms of soaking up the knowledge from all of the people around you who have a lot more experience and whatnot. Like, it's you know, get get your feet on a set and and work and help out a position. It, it's what you make of it. And so for this particular um, set of credits where we had a group of PAs listed here. I wanted to highlight uh, Mr. Reese Summerhayes, uh, who is a set PA for um, Spider-Man. And uh, some some PAs, like you look them up and they haven't really done anything. You know, maybe they, they didn't like uh, working on set. Maybe they didn't hustle in the same way. Uh, it's a high turnover rate position. But um, Mr. Reese Summerhayes was the sort of, you know, everybody's uh, whipping boy PA on set for Spider-Man. And these days has become the second AD on uh, American Gods and Wrinkle in Time and Modern Family and the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Um, wow. He's, you know, uh, really ascended the ranks since his, you know, first time uh, helping out on a big budget um, movie. And so uh, we, we talked about the first AD uh, yesterday and the second AD is like the, the next run, run down on uh, the 
AD department, the um, they they usually they work around um, call sheets and uh, they're sort of the backstage manager. So a call sheet is uh, the like information packet you get in your email for the next day of shooting. And so the the second AD runs a call sheet in terms of like they know where all of the uh, nearest hospitals are and you know what time everybody is um, has to be on set, what time they have to arrive, what time they they need to be on set. They uh, compile everybody's information and whatnot. They also do backstage management stuff where while the AD is like running the main set in terms of, you know, we're rolling right now, the second AD is the liaison with the principal actors, like getting them through hair and makeup, directing and setting extras. Like if you had um, one of the school scenes in this movie, like the cafeteria, the director is most likely not going to be directing the performances of all of those background students or telling them when to do that cross or, you know, how many do we need here? How many do we need there? Like that's a decision that, like a director might say, I need like some activity over here, make it happen. And then the second AD actually gives those instructions to the extras and directs their performances Ooh. and gives them goals and, uh, you know, coordinates everybody. So it's a, a much higher, it's a pretty high position in, um, in the set. And it's just really cool to know that like, you know, our lowest rung guy on Spider-Man, basically, Reese Summerhays on the set, uh, is now, you know, a, a key a key crew member on these like big projects, like a wrinkle in time and American gods. And I, I just like that, that little story. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's sort of trajectory yeah. there. So props to you, Reese. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, I also just wanted to point something out that I discovered. Um, yeah. Which is again, you know, it's really funny that we've gone through this whole movie um, and we we've just really been, you know, sort of baffled by the fact that David Kep has sole screenwriting credit on this movie. Yeah. Um, when we're reading his last like full draft, um, and then uh, and it's completely different. Um, and I'm about to get to that. But yeah. uh, last week we discovered that the shooting draft he actually did do revisions on after Scott Rosenberg, but before um, a final pass right. uh, by, uh, uh, I forget his name. I don't have the shooting draft open now, That's um, right. but uh, yeah, so we were, so that solved a little bit of that mystery of like, Oh, okay. So he got, he got, um, you know, he came back after they fired him. Uh, and had Scott Reis- Rosenberg rewrite him, they hired him again to do another pass. pass. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, well, that starts to make sense. Um, an- another part of this mystery gets solved in the credits. Oh. There is a credit for uh, Janice Nahu, oh. who is credited as the assistant to Mr. Kep. Huh. So David Kep. Was the on-set screenwriter. The on-set screenwriter. Look at that. Yeah. Ah. So that 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 solves all of my issues. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now I'm like, oh, okay. So he didn't just write this draft that we're reading and then walked away from the project. Right. Um. He was just he was fired, and then brought back on to do revisions after Rosenberg. They were mm-hmm. like, okay, this is closer to what we want, mm-hmm. but we want you to work your magic on it again. Yeah. And then when it went in, when it was greenlit and was going into production, uh, you know, Raimi probably like looked at his options and was like, well, kept been on this the longest. Let's give him the onset gig. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Well, that's nice. Oh. Yeah. You know what else is fun there? Uh, a couple lines above that uh, assistant to Mr. Kep credit, they have the mm-hmm. uh, production executive for Marvel, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Mr. Kevin Feige. Yeah. Uh, was, was there. That's kind of yeah. fun. Uh, that is fun. Architect of the MCU. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, what what else? So now that we we know how much more involved Mr. Kef was, uh, what other like stuff was happening? I, I we had like a cliffhanger about elevators yesterday that I'm still really dying to find things out about. Uh, yeah. So um, where we last left off yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, Peter sensed danger as they were running away from the pumpkin bombs um, mm-hmm. and into the uh, elevator. And he sensed danger, didn't go in the elevator, tried to stop MJ. But Harry uh, said, like, oh, all right, then you stay out here and die. And then closed the doors um, right. on MJ. And uh, then we saw as an audience that there was a pumpkin bomb in the elevator shaft uh, near the elevator cabling. And then Peter looks up into the sky looking for the goblin, goes to take off his shirt to get into a spider gear and then remembers he's not wearing it because he, he burned, burned it in the it. fireplace. Yep. yep. Forgot that. Mm. Um, so uh, he is, he is like, Oh man, this is crazy. And then in the distance he see, he hears uh, sirens and people having heard the explosions start emerging from the fog of mm-hmm. like, what, what is going on in here? Um, and he starts looking around frantically, and then he sees something in the distance. His <laughs> eyes light up, and across the street is a sign in the window of a souvenir shop that says Halloween costumes half no. off. No way. No. So he takes off across <laughs> the street, nearly hit by a car, um, and uh, he goes inside the souvenir shop. And he runs past a rack of Halloween costumes. And this is what it says. It says, there's a clown, a cowboy, Mr. Potato Head, Wolverine. Aha! Um, he yanks the Spider-Man costume off the rack <laughs> and uh, tug, tugs at the sleeves, checks out the crotch. And then we <laughs> cut to, at the register, a $20 bill lands on the counter. Peter is now wearing the Spider-Man costume. And he says, can I wear it home? <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh. I know. Oh. <laughs> um, I just, I love that a lot. I think that's great. Um, I also love that Mr. Potato Head and Wolverine uh, sight gag. Yeah, I know. Oh, God, that's good. <laughs> um, and and the thing that I love about him uh, taking it from the, the Halloween store is like, one, he buys it, which I like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a, that's a, that's something that has happened before um, in the Spider-Man in the, the early amazing Spider-Man comics that happened twice. It happened way early on, I think mm. during the Ditko era. Yeah. And then it happened again later on in the, in the Ramita era. Oh. Um, and so it's happened a couple of times where he's had to borrow a Spider-Man costume from a yeah. Halloween store. That's um, so, so great. That's... I really like that. Um, and I like the detail that uh, it's half off because it's like, the Halloween <laughs> costumes are half off because it's like the end of November. Right. Um, yeah. So I like that. That really works out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we cut to the elevator, Harry mm-hmm. and MJ are in the elevator and Harry says, uh, who is he? MJ says, oh. what? He goes, you're in love with someone else. I've got a right to know who it is. 
Harry, for God's sake, who is he? Uh, this is like all all caps. Right. It says in uh, parenthetical, scary Harry. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's 60 floors above uh, the street. Because and and he after he screams, who is he? He reaches out and pushes the stop button and stops the elevator 60 oh. floor floors up. Um, God. And uh, and of course, uh, the pumpkin bomb continues to flash <laughs> next to the cabling. Um, and uh, outside we um, we hear a whining, a high pitched whining. And uh, and through the fog, Harry and MJ both turn and look through the fog um, and out comes the Green Goblin on his glider and he uh, basically stops right in front of the elevator, the glass elevator. Yeah. And says, goodbye, children. Time to throw you from the nest and presses a button and the pumpkin bomb goes off and the elevator drops. <sighs> uh, yeah. Um, and so, uh, they're screaming and plummeting. Um, but there is, there is a line in here where it says they hang for a second, like Wiley Coyote, and then plummet, <laughs> which I just like that as a, as a choice. <laughs> um, so then, uh, Spider-Man swings into frame, spl- splats at the side of the building, um, looks up, sees the elevator falling. He crawls to the machinery panel, uh, on top of the elevator um, and uh, smash. He dives through the ga- glass, reaching into the machine room uh, and starts grabbing hold of the loose cable as it flies by. Um, and he, uh, he groans in pain, wrapping both his hands around the cable as it's whizzing through his hand. He's like the, oh. the, the, the goblin is, is screaming in anger and goes after him. Ah, <sighs> Um, and, uh, the elevator is still plummeting. Harry and MJ are weightless inside. Um, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Spider-Man is squeezing the cable. Um, blood is seeping through his gloves. He's in agony. Uh, and the goblin flies, the goblin kind of flies closer and opens his goblin bag and releases half a dozen, black winged objects into the air and they swarm around Spider-Man buzzing and beeping and uh, Spider-Man is forced to take one hand off the cable and try to swat them away. He reaches out and snares one but he immediately releases it shouting in pain. The Green Goblin says, do you like my razor bats? Um, And uh, it's the the razor bats are like flying all around Spider-Man it's like tearing up his new costume. Ah. Uh, and uh, and he said, Green Goblin says, would you like to meet the rest? And he turns his goblin bag inside out, releasing another half dozen. And they all start um, coming after, uh, you know, basically swole, slowly killing Spider-Man because they're just like, like cutting him to ribbons. Um, and uh, he's saying, hang on, hang on, as he's like trying to squeeze the thing and ignore the pain of the razor bats. Um, and the goblin finally reaches into his bag again and pulls out a pumpkin bomb and he, he, he brings it in his hand. He pulls it back to throw it. And he, when he goes to throw it, his hand is caught by the clawed end of a metal tentacle. Oh, oh, snap. Yeah. And, uh, so, so 
Doc Ock is here and he grabs the pumpkin bomb and Goblin's other hand and he raises him up with two two hands and he um Spider-Man like looks at this and it's just like what? And he's like <laughs> <laughs> oh, what what is happening? Um and uh you know Doc Ock, he throws the the pumpkin bomb behind him, and it says, um, Doc Ock uh, throws open his human arms, sending the overcoat flying off his shoulders, just as the bomb he hurled explodes in the sky above, washing him with a brilliant light and thunderous noise. And and then Spider-Man grimaces, tightening his grip on the cable one final time, and then it finally slows to a stop, and the elevator groans to a halt, bumping to the ground. Uh, and Harry and MJ tumble to the floor. The doors ding open, and then we see, and they look up and see the ongoing fight that includes the Goblin held aloft by Doc Ock's tentacles and Spider-Man writhing in pain on the ground, his hands torn to shreds by the elevator cable. Oh, my God. And then there's this really great, there's this really great exchange. So Doc Ock says, thought you'd never see me again, didn't you, Osborne? Harry turns wide-eyed to look at Doc Ock, and he's like, who, me? Spider-Man. And then it says, Spider-Man turns wide-eyed and looks at Harry. Who, him? And Doc Ock, Doc Ock says, I've waited. I've, I've awaited this moment, Norman. And then they both turn and look at the goblin and go, who, him? Oh! And, and, then, uh, and then using his free tentacle, Doc Ock rips the helmet off of the Green Goblin's head and reveals Norman's Norman Osborn's maniacal face underneath. Ooh, fun. It says Spider-Man, Harry, and MJ are, well, you know, surprised. <laughs> um, Osborn sc- sc- scream. It says Osborn screams weirdly and thrashes. Perfect. Love it. Um, yeah. Which I, I just, I love because he's like freaking out because he's, not the goblin right now because he doesn't have his mask on. Um, but he's the goblin, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's like, yeah. It's like somebody tore his face off. I don't that know. Is awesome. I um, know. Uh, and so then um, Doc Ock like cracks Osborne across the face, sending him crashing into the unbroken glass wall. He sags on the ground, weakened. Um, Harry and MJ race out of the elevator. Doc Ock presses in for the kill. He strides forward quickly, tentacles waving over his face. You stole my work. You stole my life. And now I'm going to take yours. He picks up a chunk of debris uh, with, with my hands. These hands, these arms, the arms that made me a monster, um, which oh, is on not yeah, sure. A little on the yeah. nose, yeah, maybe. Little, but... little, little on the nose, but Doc Ock has always been kind of on the nose uh, <laughs> in the comics. He's uh, not a poetic guy. Yeah, that's right. Um, so uh, Harry um, basically rushes over to Spider-Man and tells him to stop him, please. Uh, like basically begging Spider-Man to go and help his dad. Yeah. And uh, the Green Goblin says, I'll kill you. And Harry says, he's my father. And Spidey's like, all right. And then he like rolls over um, and he and he uh, he whips up uh, Doc Ock's tentacles, binding them together. Doc Ock rages and then kind of like falls over um, oh. and because he's he's trying to like break the webbing, but he can't. Yeah. Um, and uh, then uh, Osborne rolls rolls away and then gets on his. um 
basically like gets on his glider and then uh, but starts to go away. And then as he goes past MJ, who is on her own because Peter and Harry are together right now. Oh, yeah. Um, she he goes and he grabs MJ and starts to fly away. And Spider-Man screams MJ and uh, whips the bottom of the glider. Nice. And is on the glider on the bottom of the glider as the glider takes off and the Green Goblin notices him and says, let's see how this spider flies and then flies away. Wow. Uh, leaving Doc Ock and Harry behind. <laughs> uh, and that's where we'll leave it. Oh, man, that sounds expensive. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I like I'm curious to see um, whether or not the tram car factors into the end, because I feel like the. Uh, the the cable business with the elevator is uh you know so so similar to the like um the blood stain we get at the Queensboro Bridge sequence in right. the, in the final 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 movie yeah that like right. the stress of catching cables um right. what a, it's a very like pulpy comic booky sort of uh scenario it's fine. it is yeah it is but it's it's sort of it is but we hadn't really gotten anything like that before and so i think I think maybe Kep was just sort of trying to figure out, you know, he probably read X-Men and, and eventually saw it. Um, but, but at the, this, at this point, probably just read X-Men. Right. Um, and said, okay, well, this is what they're doing. They're doing like a very sort of grounded approach. Yeah. Uh, and let's see if we can do the opposite. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go nuts. Um, yeah. <laughs> God, the Doc Ock Green Goblin confrontation in a movie. That sounds fun. I know. Golly. It really does. Um, <laughs> I really but, uh, <laughs> I really just like the detail of like, you know, when he puts in those sight gags of uh like it, the elevator touching down finally and then like it dings and opens. Like uh-huh. <laughs> Cause it it That's, would. It's yeah. it's like the elevator gag in uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is like exactly. one, of the greatest, oh. one of the greatest elevator gags ever. Um, <laughs> so, oh god, I can't wait for that podcast. The I know Cabin Minute that's on its way. Oh, good, so much stuff, so much of it. I know. Um, it's actually out now. Uh, oh, it is. Oh yeah. By the time people are listening to this, right? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, well, so. I'll go back in time and listen to it so I, so I can comment on it when this releases. Like, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. Well, I think that's all we got for this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We Big will minute. be back uh, tomorrow with minute uh, one nineteen. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.